Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky. My guest name is Violet, the first uh, first time guest in a while. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Unfriended and such. Yeah, we are. Oh my god. What what fun movies those are. What, what fun we'll be having. Um, we're talking about Unfriended. We're talking about Unfriended Dark Web. Uh, the screen life sort of genre, as it's called, screen cinema, you know, um, searching and missing and all the, all these other ones that are, that are sort of part of the ecosystem. Um, to begin with, I guess just to, like, settle us in a little, what's your, like, history with these movies? Sure. So, I saw Unfriended, like, when it came out way back in what 2014 so i was mm. a i was a real wee in i was 14 years old um so the perfect time to go to the movies and see you know something a little corny a little schlocky a little silly um but i just thought it was so clever at the time and you know when you're 14 mm-hmm. you don't know everything about every movie so this is like the most interesting innovative thing on the screen i've ever seen at that age um and so I was like, I thought it was really interesting, and I was a big defender of it for all the people who said it was corny or cheesy. Um, and then in 2018, when Dark Web came out, I saw that as well, and I thought it was, you know, such a step up and such a more interesting, fuller film from the first one. Um, and, you know, basically... Ever since then, I've been waiting for people to crack this open further and, like, to... to, to because I feel like there's so much possibility in this space that isn't being explored, even in mm-hmm. the good movies that do come out. So it's just been a continuing fascination of mine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll get into all that. For me, the first one, and for a long time, the only one of these I saw was Searching, um, which I think I I, I, I... I was definitely aware of Unfriended when it was coming out. I was, like, a very anxious kid. I didn't really go to horror movies. Um, I think the first horror movie that I saw when it came out was probably Get Out, but I knew about the Unfriended movies, and I knew they had their fans, and, you know, I just never took a chance on them, I guess, uh, but, but I loved Searching, and I was very into the way that, like, the way that it used this screen format, um, and everything else about it, obviously, and then when Missing came out, I saw that, too, I liked that, too, it's not as strong as 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 searching, but uh, there's a lot to like about it. Um, and yeah, I had never seen the Unfriended movies until I watched them to prepare for this podcast. Okay, well, welcome to the team. <laughs> I I will. We're 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 not going to dive in right away, but I do want to throw something out there because you know I know uh, a lot of people share your opinion. I am of the opinion that Dark Web is the weakest of these movies. Okay, interesting. I we we will we will get to it. Um, but I do think I do think they're both good. I think they both have their um, you know virtues as films, mm-hmm. and it, 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 they're for like a sequel to a thing that was pretty trim and understandable. They are pretty different, you know, in 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 story and in you know ambition. I guess um, even in even in like world, and I think there are weird supernatural elements to dark web that we'll get into but it's like 
you know, it's a different kind of horror movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, oh, what is that? It's Funny Games, and, you know, uh, Unfriended, the first one, is, like, you know, Paranormal Activity or something, you know? They're in yeah. kind of different spaces, for sure. Totally. Um, so before we get into all that, we do have our news segment, dun 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 what's poppin'. Um, this is the last episode we're recording before the Oscars, I believe. So, like, I know, I know you're keeping up. I know, I know no, you're I'm keeping you're up. Going on. Um, I love to see the news that they're going to do the thing they did in 2009, where they bring out previous winners to introduce all the acting nominees. That that's going to be a good time. Yeah, absolutely. They better be good picks. They better be. I mean, so far it seems like we're getting we're getting some good ones. They're getting Al Pacino. We're getting um, Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, like, like it seems like there's there's some cool. Some cool people involved. Um, I feel like these Oscars... I feel like for the last couple years, like, by the time we're at this point, it's like, okay, you know, Oppenheimer's gonna win, and, like, 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 I feel like there used to be a little bit more... Maybe it's just because I'm older and I'm, like, more tuned into it, but it feels like there used to be a little more... No, this uh, is a pretty... It's a pretty locked-away year, you know? Um, <laughs> Oppenheimer came out strong and has continued to be strong. Um, there are a few categories where upset or intrigue still exists, you know? I don't think Killian is locked up for Best Actor. I think True. Giamatti has something of a chance. I think it's leading Killian, but I don't think it's leading it nearly as much as the, you know, Gold Derby might lead you to believe. Totally. Um, I agree. And obviously Emma Stone and Lily Gladstone. It's, it's, that's very up in the air. That could really go either way at this point. True. True. And that's the kind of two-header where you could also see some bizarre third choice like sneak through because they split the vote um <laughs> i mean that would be hell i would be so upset <laughs> it would be, if it would be so dumb <laughs> we're sitting there waiting for emma stone or lily gladstone and then somehow annette benning stands up <laughs> she can't be stopped she, um, she, that girl can swim we can't take that away from her that's true, that's true. One of the wettest films of the year, for sure. Yeah, Nyad is definitely one of, you know, there's always a few that don't exist, and Nyad is definitely leading that back right now. It's like Nyad, Rustin, um, Golda got nominated for something, right? For, for hair and makeup, yeah. For hair and makeup, yeah, there's one that doesn't exist. Um... Yeah, I don't know, I feel like I'm I'm having a party, I, I think you are as well, right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm looking forward to this one. I'm ready for it to be a fun night, but uh and, and I mean the fact that all these big movies are a part of it and it feels like, you know, the movies are back in a way. Um yes. everybody said it, but one of the best best picture lineups in years. Basically mm. zero st- I'll say no stinkers cuz I know the movie I rank last is not the one everyone else does. So, I'll admit no Same. stinkers. <laughs> I, I'm very much the same. Um, it, it's it's a strong lineup. It's a strong lineup. It's a strong year. I wish it wasn't Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, <laughs> he's reliable. He's yeah. You know... He never he never like shits the bed. You know. Right. Right. He'll get up there. You know. He hasn't been slapped yet, so it could be True. worse. You know. True. Hey, there's still time. Right. The other brief piece of news, and this is relatively new news as we're recording this on Leap Day, um, they just announced a new Neuromancer series on Apple oh. TV+. Plus. 
and it is executive produced by Drake. Interesting. <laughs> He'll do anything. He'll do anything. I'm wondering if he has read Neuromancer or if he intends to. I'm sure at the very least he owns a copy. You know? Okay. It's sitting on his desk or something. Even if he hasn't gotten to it, he'll get to it eventually. He's got a shelf somewhere. I love that book. It's great. It's it's an incredible book. I mm, don't know how I feel about it going to series because I think it's it's that's a story that could work very well as a feature film and you mm-hmm. could cut out some of the stuff that is, you know, maybe not cut out but you know you trim and you and you and you shrink and you get it down to a 2 hour 10 minute runtime of the really interesting, you know, invigorating parts of the story. But as a yeah. series, I feel like we're going to spend a lot of time walk, watching someone walk down a street while it rains. You know? Yeah, yeah, I feel that a lot. I definitely feel like I've never had the thought like, oh, I wish someone would adapt Neuromancer to the screen. But, eh, we'll see. It's a little bit relevant to our topic of conversation because I found out Drake also executive produced the movie Spree with Joe Keery, which is another... One of the screen- worst of our screen, screen life, life films. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see it, but... Um... You don't need to. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what's pulping. Screen life. It all goes back to uh, one guy named Timur Bekmambetov, who, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, I think I got it. Um, born in Soviet Kazakhstan, he uh, studied engineer electrical engineering, and then he was deported, and then he studied set design, and he you know, has an interesting kind of build-up to this this little cottage industry that he's created with, with the Screen Life movies, because he started making commercials for Russian, Russian TV in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. And then um, his, his first feature caught the attention of one Roger Corman, who was, you know... Puppet master. And here it's true. Roger Corman hired Timur to direct his uh, gladiator movie, The Arena, which came out in 2003. And um, after that, he made a very successful Russian film called Nightwatch. It was the first post-Soviet Russian film to top the Russian domestic box office. So they made a sequel called Daywatch, and then he directed Wanted with Angelina Jolie, um, which I haven't seen, but it's weird that he directed that. (laughs) And according to uh, some, you know, people who've been involved in this kind of project, he had the idea to set a film entirely on a computer screen, like, over a decade before Unfriended came out, because he was, like, working in both... He was working on, like, a Hollywood movie and a Russian movie at the same time, so he was, like, spending long hours making creative decisions over Skype, basically. And so that kind of draws together into Unfriended, which was shot in, which was produced over 16 days, uh, $1 million budget, very modest in many ways. Um, it was shot using extended takes. Many take, there were several, at least a few takes that ran through the entire script in one go. And um, I've been told that, I've heard that the ending uh, is from one of those long takes. Um, it was originally titled Offline, and then it was going to be titled Cybernatural, which I think is a funny alternate timeline. I like Cybernatural. I think they should have stuck with it. Yeah, Cybernatural feels like it could be. (laughs) 
I guess, you know, if you're if you're making something in the vein of, like, paranormal activity, which is sort of the other big piece of this, then, like, cybernatural sort of just makes sense. <laughs> um, but a lot of the work happened in post-production. They sort of, they shot, and then they were like, now we need to make the movie. You know, they're, they're, there's sort of a lot of interesting, like, background stuff that goes into making these movies i feel like i still don't understand and that's something that i always love to see in a film is is something that i'm like i don't really know how they did this yeah i think what's um part of why i think we see these screen life movies existing uh pretty much exclusively in uh horror and thriller genres is because it's you you film for like two weeks you know i think searching film for like 13 days and then had mm-hmm. one point like a year and a half in post um mm-hmm. and i'm sure i don't know the numbers for unfriended or this or dark web but i'm sure they're similar where the you know the filming doesn't take that long but you get a ton of material and it's cheap and then you move into post and really hammer it out and that's really great for horror and thriller films when the exact timing of each moment is so important to getting across mm. the, um, you know, the scare or the suspense, you know. Um, these movies come together in the edit when they're just normal movies. So making it as a screen life movie where you have a year and a half to edit and you only need a film for a couple weeks, it gives you a lot of time to really finely tune it. Interesting. I mean, I haven't really thought of that, but like... I mean, that's the thing about all these movies, even the, like, less effective ones have, like, a a tightness to them, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's part of what I really liked about the first Unfriended is that there are so many moments where even if it's not that scary, you're just kind of like, ooh, that's clever, you know? Mm, yeah. Like, you know, something will, will pop up or somebody's camera will shut off at the right time and you're like, okay, yeah, perfect. That's exactly, or it'll lag at the right time, you know? The video yeah. will artifact and cover up something you wanted to see. And it's just like very little clever moments that throughout the whole runtime serve to enhance like the, the horror of it. Yeah, I feel like all of these have at least a few moments like that where it's like, there's the bit in Searching where like... It cuts to, like, the screensaver, and it's, like, representing that he's offline, but it's also just kind of this atmosphere. It, it, there's, I, I, I always find myself, even with Missing, there are moments where I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> so, speaking of Puppet Masters, um, after the film is completed, he gets picked up by our old friends at Blumhouse. The Roger Corman of his day. Yeah, Jason Blum. Hey, you know? <laughs> In many ways. Imaginary ways. definitely feels like something Corbin would have produced back in the day. Night Swim, you know, I, I yeah. see the connection. Universal uh, had a first look deal with Blumhouse. They picked up the film for a wide release after it uh, premiered at Fantasia Festival. It won Most Innovative Film, got like good, good reviews. Part of its rollout, it was also screened at Playlist Live, a convention featuring the big stars of YouTube and Vine. Great. Where culture goes to really thrive. Yeah, I, I I know Dan and Phil were there. I I looked at the people who were there, by the Dan and Phil are the only ones I remember. And then it also screened at South by. Uh, there was an ad campaign with the messaging app Kick, where users could exchange messages with Laura. Uh, <laughs> I did not know that. That's kind of bizarre. <laughs> it's a little little crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was kind of a breakout hit. I mean, on a million dollars, it did, you know, 63 or whatever. 
So that's 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 a good chunk of yeah. change. Nice work if you can get it. That sort of brings us into the first unfriended movie. And um having not having not ever visited it, I was definitely like you know, even knowing people like these movies, I was kind of surprised to to get into it as much as I did. I think it like betrays its own corniness almost where mm. you open the film and you're like oh yeah i get it it's like oh there's a ghost in the computer oh something bad's happening um but because it keeps being inventive with the style and the form and it never sort of well i think towards the end of the film it kind of starts to take it for granted but in that first half it really continues to like find interesting new twists on the formula and continuing to like uh introduce things that naturally follow in the plot but add more opportunities for jump scares or horror elements and all that i think that really you 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 almost can't deny it in that first half of the film it really sort of draws you in yeah there was definitely like um I don't know, I sort of feel like the, uh, what, I mean, one of the things I loved about this movie is, like, I, I looked at the time and I realized I was a third of the way through, and it felt like, you know, it has a very nice pace to it. Yeah. Not taking up too much of your time. Yeah. You know, it, it's an in and out kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, to jump, to, 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 to jump around, um, it obviously does break the screen, at the end with the final final scare which which i think is so funny i love it i think it's so (laughs) silly and it is one of those things where it really does feel like you've you know they're in there writing the movie and they're figuring out how everything's gonna go and they're like oh we need a button on it we need like some sort of punch and they're like well i don't know close the laptop ghost is real i guess it, you know, leave him right. Leave him with a kick in the pants, I guess. It, yeah, and I think it's a great. It it's it's really in line with the tone of the rest of the movie, and that it's like this, you know, silly horror. You jump in your seat in the theater, and then you have a bit of a laugh. It, I, I I like that it ends that way. I definitely feel like you know that's a trick you can only do once. <laughs> I'm glad they haven't tried to do that again. Well, what I think is oh, interesting well. to not not to jump too far ahead, but the very end of Dark Web, you know, it does the zoom out, the same thing where you're, you know, it it, it suddenly shows like a real space in the camera, and it's not just the screen, but instead of being a jump scare, it's like the final reveal that the screen you were watching was the criminal mastermind. It wasn't, mm. you know, Matthias's or whatever. Yeah, I mean, no, it's a very clever ending in a lot of ways, especially in how it like. You know, it, it it sort of interrogates, like, because, you know, I, I guess they're all set up in such a way for it to be like you're watching one person's screen. I mean, the, you know, the Unfriended movies are, are set up that way, but I feel like it, it sort of interrogates the form in an interesting way, the end of the second one, because it's, it's, it's sort of thinking about, like, what are you seeing and from whose perspective? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. You're right. It, it, it. You know, uh, in a really, like, you know, a, a kind of quieter, like, unsettling moment, it asks you to look back and, and reconsider what you were watching the whole time, which is, like, plot-wise what the film is doing with all the twists and the turns, but it, it applies that not just to the story, but to, like, the actual image on the screen, which is very cool. 
in my opinion. Totally, I agree. With, with the first Unfriended, you've got Laura, who uh, committed suicide, and it's like this, this you know, shocking first shot of the movie is the Live League video uh, Blair turns out to be watching. Um, some mysterious entity has joined their Skype call, and it turns out to be... Laura, who who we over the course of the movie, we learned that this group of people was you know responsible for her death. You know, I mean, you could sort of guess that. I feel like, yeah, I mean, I think taking a cyberbullying approach is very 2014 of them, but it's also totally. pretty pretty effective. And I think all good like horror movies this is a very slashery trope where you're introduced Mm -hmm. to people you understand them sort of as archetypes and then as the killer or or, you know the 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 force of the film moves through them you begin to understand like they're who they actually are like who's beneath whatever the mask archetype they're wearing you know like the jock is just the jock at the beginning. By the end of the movie, you know a little bit more about him, and you understand whether he quote unquote should live or die. You know, um, mm-hmm. which is a very classic slashery kind of trope, uh, and that's used very effectively in Unfriended, and it is kind of the whole story. Yeah, I like how um, I don't know. I feel like there there are ways to do this where it's like you're just hanging out with these people and they 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 seem like cool people and then you find out they really have something lurking underneath but i think what this movie does that's really clever is when it's revealed that they bullied this girl and and drove her to kill herself you buy it <laughs> you buy that these people would do that right right and i think what really helps that is that they're not um uh, some of them are more than others, but they're not all such malicious actors, you know? Like, right. uh, I'm forgetting, is her name Blair, the main girl? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, Blair, who is, like, best friends with Laura, and they've gone back for ages and whatever, and they have, like, this long relationship together, and the role she plays in her suicide isn't really, like, ah, Laura, you gotta kill yourself, but it's, like, she did record the video that pushed right. it over the edge for her. And it's not an innocent act, but it's not, like, as malicious as, you know, some of the other acts that people are, are committing against Laura in the film. But they all played a role in pushing her over that edge. Yeah, and there, there's, a, there, there's a way that they, like, you know, the way they kind of hate each other and talk about each other behind their backs. It's like, there, there's a very fine line being walked there where it's like... If they lean too much on that, it would be like, I can't stand these people, and you have to sit with them for the rest of the movie. But they they do it in such a way, again, where it's like, you know, you 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 can you can see how they, you can see how these people like ruin someone's life. Yeah, and I mean that's very high school, right? Like you only you're forced into a room with all these people, and you pick like whether or not intentionally, a couple of them you end up being friends with, and then, you know, there's nobody else for you to really be friends with until you get released from high school, and when you turn 18 or whatever. So mm-hmm. the friends you have maybe aren't the best people in the world, and they maybe aren't your favorite people or the people you'd always choose to hang out with, but they're who you have. So, you know, you rib each other, you act terrible to each other, and it's it's a very high school sort of relationship to have, I think. 
if if I am gonna nitpick this movie, and I do think it's very good, but the the kills are you don't like the blender? The blender is fun. <laughs> the blender is fun. It comes out of nowhere, but again, it sort of fits the silly vibe of the movie. Well, they they Chekhov's blender at the very beginning. He goes, "My mm-hmm. world famous salsa," and you go, "This guy's weird as fucking hell." And then by the end of the movie, he's blending himself up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's just I, some of them kind of are like a little bit off screen. Like they, I, I feel like the blender is the one that everyone remembers, but the rest of them kind of don't have much going on. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably budgetary for the most yeah. part. Would be my guess. You know, they're really you know scrimping for pennies on a production like this. So totally. if you can get it to hit in a similar way without staging the whole thing, I think that is you know a good enough situation but that kind of gets to my whole take on the first unfriended is that it's you know it's very primordial and raw and it's sticking to like a sort of typical ghost movie horror movie kind of formula but using it within this like very particular interesting unique and at the time very fresh and new style so that it uh you know, it, it it's kind of a proof proof of concept, but because it's effective enough as a horror film, it is more than just a proof of concept. You know? Yeah, and I think part of that is that like it it's not just the format that that works about it. It's like character wise, it's set up in a cool way. There's I, I, the tension of the game of Never Have I Ever. I think is is really fun. Um, I, this is is kind of done again, I think less effectively in Dark Web, but like the way this there's a score, but it's like barely there. It's just kind of a drone sound. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I will say one of my nitpicks with the movie is that I don't have the timestamps or whatever in front of me, but at a certain point, the Never Have I Ever game starts, and then it basically goes until the end of the film, and there's enough of the film left that it feels like there was space for more interesting things to happen because the Never mm. Have I Ever game really could have been staged in like a, you know, physical room and like a normal, like f- a normal horror film could have been done with a ghost making people play Never Have I Ever. So it, it sort of, it plays with the form less at that point, which I think is part of why the film kind of peters off for me in a way that dark web doesn't there. I, I don't know. I feel like the, the tension of the game really kept me invested and in how like they start to resent each other more. And like, I don't know. I feel like other games kind of work their way into it where it's like the thing where, where like they both get the two of them get like notes that say, if you reveal this, the other one will die. You know, I, I, I felt very engrossed in kind of the, the dynamics of the Never Have I Ever game. It definitely does take up a lot of the movie, but again, I think this movie has such a quick pace that that didn't really bother me. It's a quick bite. <laughs> uh, you know, it, let's bring it back, actually. You know where a screen life film would do really well? It's on, on Quibi. Quibi, baby. That's where it belongs. <laughs> Made for it. Yeah. Um... There, I mean, the other thing that I've, like, seen people reference about this movie, having not seen it, is, like, or or that I think is most, like, culturally present about it is the part where she's, like, on chat roulette, like, begging strangers to help her. Yeah. 
I'm very interested to know if any of that was filmed with strangers. Mm. You know, it, it might be illegal or whatever to do that. But <laughs> yeah, they play it, it's it, if if it's not true strangers on chat roulette it's produced very well so they do sort of just feel like real randos you know um yeah even down to the lighting in their room being so much worse than the lighting in her room or in in any of the sort of primary casts webcams like uh it's much less produced and glossy and it really does feel like you know anybody could have been on the other end of that uh that call Mm -hmm. from her or whatever i don't know i feel like there's sort of a rule of thirds like joke structure to that sequence that makes me think they are like you know scripted actors but you're right that it's done in like a very and that's something that you can say about all these movies and and i think even of of unfriended uh is that it captures a lot of subtleties that that like you i i feel like on a rewatch you'll notice it even more but it's just like it balances cheesy with like feeling kind of naturally online. I think like it doesn't yes. feel super stagey, even though it is campy. Down to minute details in the, like the typing that they do, mm-hmm. like like the speed at which they type a sentence, or like you know making a typo when you're really upset, and then backspacing or sending it anyways, or the punctuation they use. Um, in dark web there's specifically this like thing they use repeatedly in the film if you notice that when somebody's being casual and like normal conversation specifically like between uh the the deaf girlfriend and the, and the sort of main boy um when they're talking in a casual conversation when they're just like relaxed and chatting conversation will be like lowercase like people type online like whatever but then when things are serious and they're arguing or like there's like you know, horror stuff about to happen, they'll use, like, proper punctuation and, like, proper, like, capitalization in their sentences because it's more serious. So you don't want to, like, seem casual when you're trying to convince your girlfriend not to be mad at you. You know, you're going to capitalize, you know, you're going to dot your T's and cross your I's or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we can kind of, um, you know, we're we're weaving the two together already, so we can kind of open the floor to both. The one thing I wanted to say kind of background-wise about the second one, um, it was originally going to be called Unfriended Game Night, first of all, which I kind of think is a better title, um, but... Game Night's another movie. Game Night is another movie, though. <laughs> but, but do you know the thing about the multiple endings? I have heard this, this legend. I don't know yeah. if any of it's true. I I did a dive. Um, it, it had a surprise premiere at South By in March 2018, and then it streamed at another festival a month later with a different ending. Um, and then it was reported in, like, you know, so, the, the, like a real publication that that the movie was going to have be sent to theaters with two different endings, clue-style. And then, in an interview with Sci-Fi, the writer-director denied that there were two different endings. And said, like, people just think that because we, you know, changed it from one one screening to the next. Anecdotally, from, like, Reddit threads from the time, things that I've seen, it does seem like two different endings played in theaters. Uh, but that has, there's, there's, we can't confirm that, really. Um, I mean, I probably could if I, if I had, like, the actual, but, but when it was released on home video, 
there was the theatrical ending and two alternate endings. So, oh, okay. So the alternate endings exist, but that's a total of three endings. So there's a question of were there, if there were multiple endings in theaters, were there two or were there three? Could be four. Yeah, it could be. Uh, they they just changed it all the time, like Spider Verse. But uh, I think it, it's something that I think adds a lot to the mystique of that movie. That like there is still an unsolved mystery about it. It's true. Yeah, maybe the the last ending is out there on the dark web somewhere. True. Some some guy with ten monitors could be watching it right now. <laughs> you always gotta be afraid of a guy with ten monitors. That's like rule number one. It's true. Sasha Mamet and Madam Web, for instance. I have not seen Madam Web. You gotta. I do. I gotta. Do I Her gotta? Literally connects the wall. <laughs> okay, that might be true. Actually, now that you said that, I might be convinced. I might see it again. <laughs> oh boy. We'll see. We'll see. It it, uh, it was a lot of fun. It's a <laughs> it's must see in my opinion. I'm trying to a little bit articulate like what i found weaker about the second one i sort of think it it like plays fast and loose with like the rules of the screen life thing a lot more than the other but like like that that's not really what it's about but the rest of these movies i feel like are generally so tight with it and there were constantly moments in dark web where i was like is he still muted? Why can they suddenly hear again? Like, why? Like, like, why are these people? Why is this person popping up in the Zoom call for in the at, at like the big one in this guy call for like a reaction when they're not actually saying anything? I I, I found myself and all the stuff with like the river and I, that like it's it's all heightened in like a in a way that fits the world of these movies. But I felt myself asking questions about the the scream physics of it that i feel like i don't ask about the rest of these that's fair um i did notice that with the you know the sort of focus of the skype call changes a little more cinematically than maybe it would in real life but what Mm -hmm. i actually really prefer about dark web over unfriended is how you know i maybe grounded isn't the right word but it's steeped in computer and in internet and in you know it's using like real lingo you know like a drill bit and so this guy's war driving you know it's you know it's not making up hacker bullshit like every hollywood movie in the world does all it does is make up that you know the dark web looks really cool which is a fair a fair thing to do for to make it more scary or whatever is to instead of it just being a browser window you make it a creepy pixel river um but basically everything else tracks except for the um the way they hack the video cameras and the way like Mm. if a guy appears in the video camera he's pixelated and weird and you know yeah that's 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 what i'm kind of saying about how the movie is like weirdly supernatural and on a certain level even though it's not a ghost movie like the first one is because like you know those those uh those dark hackers or whatever having the ability to like have some sort of a magnetic field <laughs> that affects every computer around them. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's some kid at MIT right now 
working on, uh, you know, a, a shirt that can't be recorded by streaming video. You know, mm-hmm. it just it it's certain colors that jack the bit rate up or something. It's it's a little far fetched, um, especially compared to the rest of the movie, which keeps it relatively grounded as as grounded as you can be in a movie like this. Um, <laughs> but I don't think it's entirely out of the realm of possibility. And I think it does add an interesting thing where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, they're way more advanced than even our fun hacker friend in Britain is. The one moment in the first Unfriended that I found myself that that I think had that like cinematized thing that that that, that the second one does is at the very end when she's the only one in the Skype call and the Skype call stays open. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's true. Does that happen on Skype? I haven't used Skype since I was really for a long time. I don't think so. I think someone told me that's not true. Okay, great. Perfect. I mean, yeah, look, that's a good moment. You know, mm-hmm. that's the whole ending, is her being like, uh, and then the ghost arrives. Um, but... There could be a way to do it where it's just, like, the Skype window closes and then she's kind of just talking to herself. But, but yeah, I get, I, I see what you're need, saying. Need that face. Need that... You need the tears streaming down her face. Mm-hmm. The Blair Witch ending. Right. Look, if it worked once and it made a bunch of independent filmmakers very wealthy... You can do it again. Yeah. I think Dark Web doles out its plot in a really exciting way. You know, like the the way it ramps up from like at the very beginning, you're not even like sure if he stole it or if he bought it off Craigslist, you know? Right. Uh, And then it's sort of revealed that he stole it. And then... You know, he's getting messages from Erica Dunn, and then it's revealed that she's actually the girl that was kidnapped, you know, or that that is, at that time, they think she's about to be kidnapped. And then it's revealed that she's already been kidnapped. And then there's the Karen guy who shows up, or the the Charon, Charon, whatever, however you say it, like, the guy whose computer they stole, basically. And you're like, oh, God, this guy's so scary. And then it's revealed that he's a smaller villain in a big chain. And, you know, it, it, it ramps up into this big sort of insane hacker world of killing women for fun on videos um, in a way that doesn't leave you going, wait, there's a killer world of hackers who kill women for fun. You know, it brings you into that in a way that never leaves the audience behind. Yeah. I'm not sure I feel the same, but I, I did really, I did think it was a really fun reveal. Like, Nora C being Caron backwards, like I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> it's nil bog all over again. <laughs> yeah, I mean the a lot of the plot of this movie revolves around this this ASL software that the main character created to talk to his deaf girlfriend instead of just learning ASL, which I do think is a really nice and nuanced little character thing. <laughs> yeah, on, on top of everything else. And it plays into this sort of, you know, this greater thematic element of this film and of the first film in some way of just like the way tech interrupts our lives and the way it sort of Mm. corrupts our lives, you know? So it's like, yeah, you don't have to learn ASL if you can make a computer software that 
turns your words into sign language automatically. But that does mean you decided not to learn the language your girlfriend speaks when she wanted you to. You know? Right. You did a very impressive thing, and you're such an asshole. Yeah. That really is what the whole the whole industry is about. Um, I like that. I like that his username is Maddie Fast Wheels. <laughs> He's had that since he was twelve, probably. Yeah, that's classic stuff. There's also lesbians in dark web. That's true. Lesbians who are getting married. Yeah, till they till they died. Well, yes, but everybody <laughs> dies, so it's okay. Everybody dies. My understanding is, I did watch the endings, but I watched them before I watched the movie, so I don't remember what they were. But there's like there's like the thing at the end where they vote on on whether or not to kill Matthias, and my understanding is that there's an ending where they vote no, no, as in don't kill him. Yeah, I I, I believe I, I I I'm not positive about that. I I, I might be making well, that up. But that would be that's not a bad ending. I dig that, you know, because then he's already framed anyway, so he's just gonna like go to prison or whatever. I mean, the thing with this movie is. I don't know. I feel like, again, I was so interested in, like, the dynamics between the, 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 the friend group in the first one. I was so into, like, you know, how fucked up and how much drama there was between them. And I feel like the friend group in this movie, I didn't connect to as much. I mean, there's there's some characters who just don't get as much time. There's, you know, I think the the, the AJ character who is like this this conspiracy theorist podcaster guy and they felt like kind of a caricature and i think there's you know i i, I felt like these were more two more one-dimensional characters to me than than the ones of the first one i disagree and i think it is actually a function of both of the films like to both films credit that the first the characters in the first movie are pretty flattened sort of uh, high school stereotypes, you know, that then bounce off each other in this really interesting, bizarre way, whereas in the second film, they're closer to real people that are less interesting, but the reality of them makes them more relatable to the audience, when I think a lot of the fear that Dark Web is going for is in a sort of realism, in, 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 a, in a reasonable plausibility of the plot, you know? Unfriended, you're never worried that a ghost of a girl you told the killer self is going to take over your computer. You know, that's not like a real thing. But like people, there are hackers and people are afraid of hackers. And you hear about people getting swatted like a character does in this. And you hear about people being doxxed. And you hear about, you know, like it's playing on real fears people have of the internet in a way that mm. one doesn't. And that's why the characters being a little less poppy they pop a little less, but they're a little closer to, like, some sort of a real person. I guess, the, yeah, I, I definitely agree with the assessment that the ones in the first movie are more stock, and the ones in this one have more, are, are more specific. But I still think they're less human. I don't know. Um, I feel like, for me, I feel like at no point in this was I thinking, oh, this is realistic. You know, I, I that, 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 that feels like an area where, where I was kind of lost. Because I feel like as soon as the hackers started showing up, I was already fixated on this weird, like, shadow glitch effect they were able to do. And I was in that, like, supernatural state of mind watching it the whole time. Sure. But I do think that it's 
I think it's pretty... I mean, there's plausibility in what they're doing to them, you mm. know? I think because they incorporate internet specificity, you know? Like, the swatting and, like, the... Uh, like, they show how they dox uh, that one girl, like, very specifically. Like, they go... Like, they find her school, her alumnus, and they do a lookup and whatever, and they find her address. And, you know, they're getting at things where it's not a computer, you know, taking over your brain and forcing you to put your hand in a blender. These are things that actually could happen where somebody can find your address. You know, maybe they're not going to be a swarm of pixels and push you off a building, but it's playing on, like, these real fears that you might have or you might have heard of from the internet, you know? And I think that specificity is is what is really compelling about the second film for me. Yeah, I, I, I see that with like sort of the individual elements of it. But I feel like by the time you get to the end and the final reveal of it being like of the whole thing being a game show that like tens of thousands of people watch. I feel like that's the point where I'm like, you know, we're 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 less thinking through this. It's more vibes. Wait, I mean, wait, wait. I don't know. People get up to some nasty shit on Twitch.tv. That's true. And, you know, if you've, like, there are whole internet subcultures dedicated to, like, harassing a specific person repeatedly yes. for years and years, you know? I think it it, it gets at this, like, really nasty, sort of semi-hidden undercurrent of, like, internet culture that... Sure, yeah you know, I, I think is a real sort of terrible thing in our world and nobody else is going to make a movie about it and it's a very specifically quote-unquote unfriended topic to kind of try and tackle. And mm. I think that's another one of the things I find more compelling about the second one. I see that, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like there's there's a cleanness to the first one that I was I was ready for the second one to be even more like and there are definitely clever little things in it like uh when when they bring Erica to to Matthias's apartment like there, there there's there there's a lot of cleverness there but I think you know I felt myself getting bogged down in the details and that was a sign that I was not as taken by it right well the first movie is really trim and it's you know it's uh I phrased it when I was writing up little notes about these movies. I think the first one is like, it's kind of a, a the style is kind of a shtick, you know? And it's like, we're doing a classic kind of horror story, but we're doing it on a computer. Isn't that crazy? Um, mm-hmm. And it was crazy. And I really enjoyed it. And the second one, they're trying to elevate the style from shtick to substance and have it really be deeply thematically intertwined with the story. And I think that that is, for the most part, successful in the film. Mm-hmm. In a way that the first one, it's more like, you know, beyond... Like, this could be... This story, if you just remove all the specific internetness of it, could play out as a normal horror movie. Dark Web sure. could not, you know? I see that, yeah. But let's bring Searching into the conversation. Because, okay. because you know... Banger. Banger. Um, definitely my favorite of these. Um, I, I watched it again last night, and it, 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 it still hits. Uh, that's the one I saw in theaters. I also saw Missing in theaters, but we'll get to that. Um, but, like, with Searching, it's obviously not part of the same series. It is also produced by Timor. It's, you know, part of the, the official kind of screen life canon that he has. Um, 
there there are ties there and i feel like searching is is going for a new a different genre obviously but i think playing with further expanding some of those same ideas i mean these these two movies came out the same year i believe but but you know it's playing with a different genre i even think that there is a distinct directorial vision to searching that is very that that is different from how they do screen life in the unfriended movies but again i think it's expanding some of those ideas of like playing with the the realm of the of the screen and of online definitely i think because a horror film is pretty narrow in focus you know uh it's Mm -hmm. trying to build suspense and then release it just over and over in different ways. And, you know, it has thematic goals and has different sorts of moments and maybe it titillates or whatever, but that's really what the film is getting to. Whereas this, where it is like a sort of thriller and it has like emotional moments and it has like, you know, like the whole beginning of the film is this montage of like growing up with windows XP. And it's a really sweet kind of lovely thing. Um, so it's it's painting on a wider emo- emotional canvas than the unfriended films do and it's doing it surprisingly successfully it's kind of the the like it's screen life's passport to the rest of cinema in a way in my eyes and no i totally agree it proves that like horror is a is is a space where there's a lot of play that at, at least whether that's like for industrial reasons or for um, creative reasons, whatever, but um, at, at least industry-wise, people expect something experimental to happen in horror. People can see, uh, you know, experimental and indie movies doing very well. There's that, you know, I mean, certainly post-Blair Witch, it's like, we know this kind of thing can happen, where, like, you can have nobodies and just have a good conceptual framework that's different and 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 it'll and and it'll get over the finish line um but yeah searching really takes a huge step in proving that like the like you're saying it 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 opens up a whole world of genre it's like this this there's something you can tap into about about modern life and it's not just like something that gives you like inventive scares or whatever and it what a thing that's really interesting about this is this is not a uh, totally new story. You know, it's like taken. Like the dad mm-hmm. loses daughter, wants to find her, but in basically every other version of this story, it has to be incredibly heightened in a different way. You know, mm-hmm. where it's like the dad has to also be basically an action hero, or like you know needs to be like uh, Hugh Jackman and prisoners needs to be ready to turn like into a monster or whatever whereas in searching he's he's never really that far outside of what a real dad might do in the situation you know true true there's a lack of violence that that i think really really distinguishes these two in an interesting way or like you know all, all I, I all the violence has to happen through a screen you know and so it, it becomes a lot more a, a, more of a social version of this type of story in a way yeah and it it, it um constructs the story of uh margot and like her life in a way uh that plays into 
like, growing suspense and, like, you know, a c- continuing a chase and stuff. Like, oh, she kind of has no friends anymore, so it's really hard to track down where she might actually have gone, you know? And their growing space as, like, in the grief of the wife slash mother's death, that they have to, like, they've grown so far apart that they don't really know each other anymore, and now he has to find out who she's become in a way mm-hmm. that is really, I mean, sad, but also makes for compelling, you know, cinema. It's like him rediscovering who his daughter even is anymore. There's a really interesting distinction to be made between how the unfriended movies are based around, like, how a college-age kid uses a computer, and searching is based around how a dad uses a computer. He has great dad moments. Great little dad moments of him, like, oh, there's something he Googles in it, I wish I had written it down, but he, like, mishears something, and then, like, types it into his computer wrong, and then it, like, Mm auto-corrects it, and he's like, oh, okay, that's what I was looking for, and clicks on it, and it's just like, yeah, that's exactly how John Cho probably Googles today, you know? (laughs) <laughs> there's a there's a great little moment where like uh, where he's interrogating the Facebook friends, and one of them is like, I have the quote here. He says, "I was at Carmen's house playing pong, ping pong." <laughs> That's just like <laughs> a very small thing, but I thought it was yeah. so funny. Or the like really skeezy guy who he's like sure did it, and he's like, "I was busy, mm-hmm. man. I don't want to tell you. I was busy that day." I'm a, uh, I'm good, whatever, and then, like, it cuts, and it's him in the spreadsheet, and he's like, you're at a Justin Bieber concert. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of little gags, have, did, have you picked up on or heard about the uh, alien invasion subplot? I saw this online. I did not pick up on it when I watched, but I guess it's in there somewhere. It's mostly in, like, the the news headlines that you see throughout the movie, like... If you look off to the side, it'll be like, you know, I think the last one is the the, the president's making like a big uh, announcement tonight, but then throughout the rest of it, it's like NASA whistleblower mysteriously dies, you know, okay. <laughs> like, like it sort of progresses throughout the movie. I think I have a couple more hours in my rental. I should give it another watch. Have you seen Missing? I saw Missing when it came out. I did not rewatch it in the course of preparing for this podcast, but mm-hmm. I think for me in my this is what i kind of remember the major difference between missing and searching for me is that i think john cho is doing an okay job in searching but in missing i really enjoyed storm reed's performance i just thought it was Mm -hmm. a less creatively successful film otherwise you know yeah i think missing is distinct in some ways um it has more of like a i feel like it it moves in more of a soap opera y kind of way, uh, relative to searching, which has like a few of those kinds of twists and things, but mostly takes on more of that like taken thriller kind of story structure. There's the interesting element of missing to me, and I like missing a lot, but the interesting element to me of, of it is sort of like true crime culture. And, you know, it, it, it sort of speaking out against that in a way, like, she, she, the, the lesson she kind of learns at the end of the movie is not to watch true crime shows. Which is a lesson we all should probably learn before it's too yeah. late. I agree. And I think I'm a big fan of Storm Reid. I think she's a really fun mm-hmm. performer. I think she, I mean, obviously she, like, kind of hit big with Euphoria and that is a show where 90% of the time she's screaming and crying and terribly upset, you know, to the point where there were memes online of people like, why is this girl 
never smiling because she's just always going through hell or whatever. But she can, like, get there emotionally in a way that's really compelling to watch, even if she doesn't have totally the lower range under control. She has an incredible control over the higher range, which I think is really fun for a movie like this, where she's doing a lot of, you know, upset yelling and phone calls to people and stuff like that. Yeah, I I also really like Nia Long uh, as the mom, and I feel like the, the that facet of like you know expanding the, the the performance of the like kidnapped character or whatever. I think th- there were things I really liked about that movie. The big, I mean, the big twist in Searching, which like I love and gets me every time. But I, I just love the way it does this, where like you think the story's over and it seems like, you know, you know there's more time in the movie, but it's like they caught the killer and it's not clear what's going to happen next. And then on the funeral website, he sees the stock photo model from the... The stock photo model twist is incredible. It's... And I think what's most incredible about this to me is that at first you see that Right? And you and I, and most of the audience probably, recognizes that as a stock photo. But you also then, in your head, go, well, I mean, it's not a big budget film, you know? Are you going to take pictures of everybody? They just got a stock photo for this one thing. Whatever. And then, when she pops up again, it takes you a second to process, or at least took me a second to process, like, I was like, what? So, does that girl run the funeral service like what is that supposed to tell me and then i was like no wait that's a model this is a Mm -hmm. stock photo oh it's internet storytelling it's a thing that he only finds because he's spending the whole movie on his computer it's so good and i think it's really great the way it's handled where like after he sees the photo he's like trying to remember where he's seen the face before and he's looking through all the other facebook friends and stuff like that is I, i i feel like the audience you know, this isn't really how I felt, but I could see someone being a similar way where they're like, I've seen that face in the movie and I don't remember yeah. where. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I thought that was such a good twist. Especially mm. because before that, it really does feel like maybe they've just gone for the most heartbreaking ending possible. You know? It really yeah. does play like the end of the movie up until that point where you're like, God, is this just the worst thing ever you know yeah because they even sort of don't i feel like in the unfriended movies it's like by the time you get to whatever the last twist is it's like it it, it's not that big a thing but this is something where like you don't really see where the loose ends are right because you don't i don't think on first watch i at all suspected that the police officer was you know responsible because that's just like a crazy thing like, how would that even make sense? <laughs> right. And then and then when it, they explain it, it actually makes, like, perfect sense, you know? Yeah. It, it totally tracks with the character she's been throughout the whole movie. It's a very sort of, you know, I, I, I hate to use the term. I know it's like, it's like a curse to put upon the film, but it's a little Hitchcockian, you know? It's, it's, it is. It's, I just can't think of the last time... I saw, like, a, a, tr- a full-throated thriller that has twists that really work like this. You know, that hit. Yeah. And red herrings that you believe, you know? It, like, it's really effectively done. It's, it's really tough to do, yeah. I mean, 
it's true. There's 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 very few like recent movies I think of where the the twists hit as hard as they do, and 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 frankly, there's some really solid twists in missing too. Like these movies kind of have a way of tapping into it. Yeah, and I think this comes to what I kind of mentioned towards the beginning of our program here uh, is that mm. you know missing or searching. I I have the numbers in front of me. It filmed for, thir- for thirteen days, and they spent a year and a half in post, and so a year and a half in post, you can spend a lot of time making sure that that fake ending feels like a real ending. And you can spend a lot of time making sure that you've placed that stock photo in just enough places that the audience goes, wait, where was that? You know? And it's also how they slip it in alien invasion plot. Cause they get bored, you know, a year in probably, but, uh, it's, yeah. it's why I think this works so well and why maybe, that screen life is well suited to thrillers. Yeah. I think, I I think part of it is just that like, and part of why this genre works in general is like, I I don't know. I feel like we are conditioned to like pay attention to this, this layout of things we have in front of us right now. This is like the screen format sort of draws you in and i think uh, all these movies have great like sort of opening notes to make you to make you pay attention like the first one like like the first unfriended has like the sort of shock of the um of the live league video and um the second unfriended has that very gradual like logging in trying to guess the password you know slow build up to to where it begins and then searching with the montage which is not only like introducing this this family narrative like upstyle but it's also sort of commenting on like life through the screen (laughs) you know yeah and that's why look i don't want to disparage the great pixar film up but that's why i think this is you know i think there's a lot of criticisms you can level at the up opening in terms of it being you know emotionally manipulative and setting up a film that actually doesn't exist you know and you know, using, like, a real gut punch of a moment to then carry an audience through a kind of middling rest of a film. Those are great criticisms. But I think why it works here in Searching, because it's doing a very similar thing, is that it is as tied into the greater thematic ideas of a person being what they leave behind, in this case, digitally. You know? And the trail behind you is the only way somebody can know who you are. So the trail behind uh, the mother, whose name I forgot, uh, is that she leaves digitally is the only way we know her in the film. And then once he's separated from his daughter by that grief, the trail she's left behind is the only way he can find out who she's become. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff with, like, him... You know, never never talking to her about uh, about her mother since she died. Like that that was so strong. That was so like it was such a nice like build into it, and it it it, it sort of reframes the movie in a way. Um, it, just a very very good movie. I don't know what else to say. It's a great movie. In little moments that the film, like okay, at the beginning of the film, you see in a text conversation between Margot and her father 
he's like saying like oh do you want to watch the voice tonight like voices on tonight oh great episode last night sorry you missed it and you're like oh she's not even watching the voice with him like she's being so <laughs> weird and distant and it's so sad and then later when he's re-watching her live streams on that live stream website you see him come in and ask if she wants to watch the voice and he's so awkward and it's so uncomfortable and you're like oh my god yeah i don't want to watch the voice with him either so it like mm-hmm. through the computer makes you empathize so much with her and him at different moments it's yeah very well done there is one more screen life movie that is you know timor produced part of this part of the same canon it is profile uh the movie about the journalist who's investigating like isis recruiting young european women i've seen some of profile <laughs> I have not seen any of Profile. I, I I vaguely know it, like have heard of it, but I haven't seen the movie. I don't don't know anything deep about it. it. The fact that I've only seen some of it probably tells you it didn't grab me as much as the rest of these. I think, um, you know, trying to do this uh, political kind of issues thriller thing, it's sort of walking a different line from the rest of these and it seems like maybe i don't want to say it's an avenue where this couldn't work but i think when you're throwing in such a like international and you know running around all the president's men kind of story uh it it it, it clashes with the format in a way i don't know much about profile but a thing i was thinking of watching these three movies and a film i've seen and i think you might have seen as well um is a documentary break the game um, yes. That, uh, I don't actually know if it ever got a wide release, but it was showing at the Philadelphia Film Festival, which is where I saw it. Um, and it's kind of, you know, kind of a screen life documentary, which is not mm. a place that the genre often has gone. Um, mm. And it's a very specific kind of thing. You know, it's hard to film a documentary that exists only on a screen. I understand why, like, structure-wise, it's a difficult thing to accomplish, but because it's, it's I guess I should set it up if the audience has no idea what it is. It's about a um, video game speedrunner who plays games fast online and streams them live for people. Uh, and it's about, she's like very famous before she transitions. And then when she transitions, she kind of like her, you know, quote unquote career, her, her audience kind of tanks and she's trying to build herself back up to that famous place. She once was as like an esteemed gamer. Um, and it's about her journey and her mental health and all that stuff. And it's, it's, you know, a, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. I think it's an all right film, but I think it's really interesting uh, how you use an archive like that in a sort of screen life kind of film Mm -hmm. to create a documentary style of the same things, you know, of following the story the same way that you did with Unfriended and with Searching, you know. There's more to explore with this genre, definitely. And I think we're starting to see elements of it, you know, affect the culture more broadly. I think especially when you look at, like, COVID-era things that had to like happen and be shown through zoom um or just or just filmed remotely or whatever you think about i'm starting to see like 
I, I think of the Mean Girls musical, and there are, like, sequences of that that are, like, scrolling through a TikTok feed, and I've definitely seen several movies out of things like that in the past year. I think the the, the screen life is is becoming part of cinematic language in interesting ways in the last few years. I think what is so attractive about the genre specifically is that it feels less hacky because it's committed, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when Mean Girls cuts and then it's a TikTok feed, you're like, okay, yeah, it's TikTok. They're high schoolers. I got it, I got it, I got it. But if the whole film was done through TikToks, you would have been like, this is a crazy, bold way to capture the story, you know? Yeah. And I think you could have, honest to God, made a Mean Girls movie all through TikToks. I think that's happening in every high school in the country right now. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the, the commitment and the, the full-throatedness of, you know, incorporating, making a, a, a genuine, you know, soup-to-nuts film entirely on a screen is what was so attractive about Unfriended in its pitch and what continued mm-hmm. to be interesting in Dark Web as explored in greater thematic way and then in searching the culmination of what we're talking about where it goes, yeah, we're not just making a movie on a screen, we're making, like, a big movie we're making an interesting expansive film and it has set pieces except the set piece is now it's a news you know now it's television news footage you know um so as screen life leaks out my hope is that screen life keeps growing Mm -hmm. inside itself like it continues to be a specific genre that 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 is a good way of looking at it and we're sort of talking about like the different ways people are experimenting with this form um but i agree with you that like there there are specific things about this that lend themselves as we're saying to these very tight and carefully considered like little uh thrillers and horror like like there's a sphere here and, you know, I, I, I almost want there to be failures. I want there to be uh, an, an assessment of, like, how do we, like, like, where does this format work? Where does it not work? Like, like I want to see those boundaries tested. Right. And because at this point, if you even find, like, a really expansive list of screen life films, very few are going to be, like, on the bounds Unfriended came out and everyone started making horror movies on a computer. And some of them were really good. Like Host is one we haven't mentioned yet, which was a, a sort of COVID Zoom horror film where they do a Zoom seance and whatever. It's a great movie. I think it's on Shudder if you haven't seen or if anyone listening hasn't seen. I really recommend Host. Um, you know, and then Spree, another horror movie, but it's really bad. It's also a screen life film. Um, but then you get like Profile, the one you'd kind of talked about where it is doing a sort of serious issues drama and it's not working. And then you have searching where it's doing like a thriller and it's really working, you know? And it's like very few are testing the bounds. And I don't know, Past Lives came out this year. That could have been a screen life film. True. Maybe it would have been a great screen life film, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) you retool the script a little bit, but like, I think that film would have worked really well on a computer screen maybe it wouldn't have gotten nominated for oscars but maybe it yeah worked. that's the interesting th- that's the interesting thing though i feel like it's seen as the these movies all have 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 an air around them of like these are these are lowbrow in some way because of this this format that they're working with 
Yeah, I mean, they are cheap, and I think that's part of why they get funded, you know, as a a studio or a production company or even an independent filmmaker says, I can make the taken three of my dreams for, you know, a mill easy if Mm -hmm. I put it on a computer, and then it can happen. And I think that if you look at broader industry taste, whatever, you know, like Oscars or Critics' Choice or whatever, um, genres often ghettoized, regardless of what that genre is, if it's horror, if it's sci-fi or fantasy or whatever, it's rare there's a breakout. So I don't think Screen Life is, like, itching for an Academy Award. But one day you could see a Screen Life film break out the way Get Out did or the way The Lord of the Rings did and really, like, become the, you know, genre film that takes the world by storm in that way. I I mean, people were talking... I definitely remember people, like, talking about John Cho and Searching, but it feels like that was an area where, like these these formats are considered kind of like a, the, screen, the whole screen life thing is seen as like a B movie kind of and, and these movies all have elements of that but but I do think that like I don't know I just I just find that 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 air about them sort of interesting as sort of what I like about them as like a, a sort of micro genre is that they they belong to the same I you know I wouldn't say camp but the same kind of kitschy family yeah yeah, they're playing in the place that Roger Corman does or that Hitchcock did mm-hmm. back in the day, you know? They're making crowd pleasers. They're making, like, big movies, body movies that get butts in seats and get people, you know, engaged and activated and compelled. Uh, and right. that's often where a lot of great, incredible works of cinema have come from historically, you know? Like, Hitchcock was seen as a populist kind of schmuck for a while in his career and it wasn't until a little bit later that he was sort of hailed as a master and then really you know uh reconsidered later in life um same for corman he brought up like a whole generation of new hollywood directors under his wing because he was making cheap movies that got butts and seats and taught people how to use a fucking camera and now he's spoken about in like semi-reverent tones and one day, you know, I'm not saying we will, but I'm saying it's possible. You look back on your searchings and you're unfriended and you say, this was the film of the moment. And this, you know, was speaking to something that nobody else was speaking to in the form. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely think so. Um, an interesting thing about Missing is that it had this, like, TikTok marketing uh, campaign behind it. Like, it's sort of sought out and found an audience that's completely separate from from what searching had in a way i saw storm reed screaming and crying on my for you page for (laughs) months every third time i get an ad of her like my mom's missing and i'm like girl i'll see the movie leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's just sort of i mean that that speaks to the idea that you know it's been a decade since since this sort of since this family of movies started and um you can still sell it as like a fresh thing it's still it 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 has it hasn't become like tired yet and maybe part of that is like the kitschiness that it had from the beginning maybe part of that is just like greens haven't gone away (laughs) you know but a big part of that i think is that the tech we interface with every day changes really rapidly right Mm. like even when dark web came out tiktok wasn't a thing you know 
And when Unfriended came out, that was 2014, everything looked different, you know? The the whole landscape of how people interact with social media and with their computer is totally different. So I think part of what uh, makes it compelling and continually compelling is because of the way we interact changing so much. So a film can always be current and speak to a moment in a specific way that a film that doesn't care about screens can't let's uh, wrap it up with a little bit of a fun question if they did a third unfriended movie what kind of horror movie would it be oh great question i oh okay here's my take i'm thinking like like a basic instinct kind of like succubus story where like she's like killing people but she's like a cam girl or something but she's like you know draining their accounts and like you know there's like yeah i think you could really get into some interesting territory there real kind of that's interesting we haven't had an erotic screen life movie yet and now's maybe the time I'm sure A24 can finance that. I'll make a few calls. Yeah, well, I guess that's the other angle, is like, is there is there an elevated unfriended? <laughs> that's true. That's what it'll be. It's elevated because there's boobs in it now. It, it'll be about trauma. Right. Um... <laughs> yeah. How about you? Do you have a pitch? Do you have a pitch for Unfriended 3? It could sort of go into, like, you know, if, 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 if they were, like, 4chan types... <laughs> Like the, the the group that we're following, and it's sort of a the purge like political horror, <laughs> right? They're they're actively egging on through via the internet like January sixth, but they do it too well, and January sixth <laughs> people actually win, and they like ruin the whole country. That would be cool. Yeah, these movies are all good. Bangers, every one of them. They're all bangers. We highly recommend them. Uh, Searching's definitely my favorite. Um, I can't. I, I don't want to say profile is the worst because I haven't finished it, but it's the one that I haven't finished. <laughs> I'll say for me, if I'm ranking in my head, I'm putting searching at the top, um, and then I'll put dark web just below that, uh, and then I'll probably say host, and then the first unfriended, uh, and then some of the other ones like spree and you know a lot of them end up being pretty poor they're not all great but uh from unfriended up through searching those are all bangers yeah i think my um just just with the five timor movies i'd probably say actually i just do like profile i i'm not gonna rank because i haven't finished it but um searching is definitely my favorite for me, it might be searching, missing, unfriended, unfriended two, out of those four. I put missing a little bit lower because I just didn't find it beat to beat as creative as, as searching was. You know, mm. I thought like it was interesting and it was like well done, and it has been a while since I've seen it. But I like it was like it was well made and it was interesting, but it didn't have it didn't as neatly tie like little lines between all of its little elements and it didn't feel as finely constructed as searching did for me. But yeah, I mean, thank you for joining me for this conversation. I feel like we've touched on some really interesting stuff. Uh, and now if you want to plug something, you can go right ahead. 
Absolutely. So we are recording on Leap Day, uh, and I don't know exactly when this is coming out, but in the ne- on next Tuesday, which is da, 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 the 5th of March, I'm posting the first post on my fun new little substack where I'm mm. writing all my little thoughts about culture and mostly Ooh. about movies. Um, the first post is going to be in honor of the upcoming Oscars. It's going to be tentatively titled The Contrarian Oscar Predictions or The Alternative Oscar Picks, where I'm basically mm-hmm. going through and, you know, it's a pretty locked up year. So I'm picking another choice rather than their runaway favorite and saying, talking about the value of that performance or that specific you know that editing or, or or that sort of thing and basically lifting up those who are only going to be nominated come oscar night yeah i like that i i mean i will definitely be checking that out and i definitely encourage all the folks at home to do the same but if you have been listening with us and uh, following along with us um <laughs> if, if you thank you for listening uh and if you like the show you can rate or like or what whatever it is wherever you're listening to it it's on you know all the different places um and you can also share it with your friends let people know you like it. it's one of the best things you can do next time i believe we will be talking about imagine dragons oh boy that's gonna be a fun one I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.